Today we're continuing in our series on the uh, Ten Commandments, uh, and we're looking at commandment number three. Uh, that's in Exodus chapter 20, uh, and it's in verse 7, where it talks about taking the name of the Lord in vain. So we're going to be looking at that, uh, looking, we're going to be looking at lots of places across the Bible, so uh, we won't have time to look at the context of each, each passage, so what, we need to do, what I've done is I've put all the references into your um, outline uh, so that you can look it up uh, when you go back, all right? Make sure I've quoted things in context, lah. Huh? Okay, uh, so uh, let's, let's, uh, let's prepare and let's begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. We thank you that you've spoken to us as your Word was read. And we pray now that uh, as we hear it preached, uh, that you would be at work in our hearts. Uh, we pray that your Spirit will enable me to preach your Word rightly and in his power. Uh, may he open each of our hearts uh, to you, uh, that we might truly honor your name. Uh, and that the name of Jesus might be glorified among us. And so we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our names matter to us, don't they? Uh, when someone remembers our name, uh, we, we feel like they know us. Uh, when someone gets our name wrong, we get a little bit offended maybe, right? If someone makes fun of our name, uh, that can be taken as an insult. Our names matter to us. In fact, our names represent us. They are more than just a useful identifying tool. Uh, they come to stand for our reputation. And so when Proverbs 21, 22 verse 1 says that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, we know it's not talking about having a nice sounding label. It's talking about the reputation of character. Our names matter to us because they stand for us. God's name stands for him. Uh, we saw last week that we're not meant to use idols or images to worship him because they cannot stand for him. But God's name does. And so the third commandment which we're looking at this week will remind us how weighty that is and how seriously God takes it. Before God rescued his people Israel from Egypt, uh, you remember that he appeared to Moses in a burning bush to call him to be a prophet. In Exodus 3.14, when Moses asked for God's name, this is what God says to him. I am who I am. I say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Uh, in Hebrew, I am was spelled Y-H-W-H. Uh, so it's probably pronounced Yahweh. Uh, whenever the uh, Jews later would read it in scripture, uh, they would say Adonai, which means my Lord. Uh, and so when the Old Testament was translated into Greek before the time of Jesus, the Greek word for Lord was used uh, every time God's name Yahweh was found. So that get carried across into our English Bibles. Uh, so in our English Bible, where you see Yahweh is written, our translators will put capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Right? Where it's just Lord, as in Master, uh, then you just capital L and small so when you see the capitals, the all caps Lord, right, that's referring to Yahweh, I am. That is God's name. And so God continues to speak to Moses in Exodus 3.15. He says, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, 
Thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And then he goes on to say that he's seen the affliction of his people Israel in Egypt. Uh, they were slaves and he promises to rescue them. Uh, and so God's name is linked to his faithfulness, to his promises, to his people. And after God rescued his people from Egypt, after he gave them these Ten Commandments, a whole lot of other laws at Sinai, after Israel rebelled against him by worshipping that golden calf, which we heard about last week, after Moses pleaded with him not to destroy them for that, and, and he didn't, Moses asked to see his glory. And in chapter 34, verse 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is the one who gives meaning to his name. And when God proclaims his name, he connects it to his mercy, his grace, his patience, his steadfast love, his faithfulness, and his justice. And he would show all these attributes throughout Israel's history, and ultimately in Jesus Christ and his gospel. And then in Jesus, we would truly see and know Yahweh as he is. Because at the cross, we will see the perfect expression of God's mercy, grace, patience, steadfast love, faithfulness, and justice, all at the same time. Even in the Old Testament, God's name would be connected with things that would, or people that would point forward to Jesus. In Exodus 23, verse 20 and 21, God tells Israel to pay careful attention to the angel or the messenger he will give them. Obey him, he said, because my name is in him. The angel of the Lord, who is both God and a messenger of God, points forward to Jesus, who is both God and messenger of God. Later on in Israel's history, when David came against Goliath, he came against him in the name of the Lord. David points forward to the Lord Jesus, who is God's promised king, who rescues and rules his people. The temple was a house for the name of the Lord. Points forward to Jesus as the place where we meet God. The prophets spoke in the name of the Lord. They point forward to Jesus, who not only brings us the word of God, but truly is the word of God. God's name in the Old Testament speaks of his identity and character and anticipates the perfect revelation of that in his son. You may recall from three weeks ago, the first commandment was that Yahweh was to be Israel's only God. But then we saw in the New Testament that Jesus is included in this, the identity of this one true God. And then we saw last week in the second commandment, they were not to use images to worship him. But we also saw that Jesus is the true image of God, the only one who reveals him without distorting him. And so we worship God through Jesus. And so when we come to the third commandment, which forbids the misuse of God's name, we expect to see how it relates to us through Jesus. And indeed we will. But first, let's understand it in its Old Testament context as a command for Israel. 
The command itself, as I mentioned earlier, is given in Exodus 20, verse 7. Here's what it says. You shall not take the name of the Lord, or Yahweh, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The word take there means to, to bear or to carry or to use. And the word translated vain there means empty or worthless or, or valueless. So Israel is not to bear or to carry or use God's name in a way as so as to, to degrade it or to make it useless or worthless, empty. And he warns them, he says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless or the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Misusing anyone's name is serious. But God is so infinitely good. He's so infinitely great. He's so perfect. He's so totally awesome. He's so absolutely holy that to degrade his holy name is a horrendous offense. And the holy God, who will by no means clear the guilty, will not and cannot leave that unpunished. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. But how might the Israelites take God's name in vain? Let me give you five ways. First of all, in the law itself, we see God forbidding them, forbidding them to, to, to use his name to swear false oaths. Right? For swearing in God's name something that wasn't true, that's misusing God's name, inviting his judgment. Or if they made a vow in God's name, they don't keep it, that too, that, that's taking his name in vain. Uh, so God says in Leviticus 19 verse 12, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Secondly, they could be irreverent with God's name. Uh, we read just now in our Old Testament reading from Leviticus about this man who blasphemed God's name and cursed him during a fight, and God said he should be put to death. God is holy. And his name should be used with great reverence. Cursing him was a capital offense. Thirdly, there was bringing disgrace to God's name by their actions. Uh, God says to Israel in Leviticus 18.21, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Right? Molech was a pagan God that people offered child sacrifices to. And if Israel did this, then not only they'll be, they'll be breaking the first commandment against worshipping other gods, they'll be breaking the sixth commandment against murder, but they're also breaking the second commandment. They're bringing shame to the name of Yahweh, their God, because they are meant to be his people and they're going doing this. Uh, likewise, the, the book of Proverbs, a wise man named Agor says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Agor wants God to keep him far away from temptation to sin because when God's people sin, it brings disgrace to his name. Fourthly, a priest could profane God's name by violating his holiness. Our God says to Moses in Leviticus 22, verse 2 and 3, Speak to Aaron and his sons, so they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel that they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. Say to them, If any one of you approaches the holy things while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence, says the Lord. See, a priest could profane God's holy name by approaching holy things while unclean. 
violating God's holiness is also part of the second commandment. Uh, finally, a prophet could use God's name presumptuously by claiming falsely to speak for him. And again, this misuse of God's name is very serious. So God warns in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak shall die. To prophesy falsely, to misrepresent God, to speak lies in his name, that too would be to take his name in vain. So Israel was given God's name. I was told not to take it lightly. Uh, they swore their oaths in the name of the Lord. They were blessed in his name. They were known as his people. And so God's name and reputation were tied up with them. But we all know what happened. Lah. Israel kept sinning against the Lord. They failed to honor his name. They brought disgrace to his name by their actions. For example, in Amos chapter 2, verse 7, they oppressed the poor. They engaged in sexual immorality so that God's holy name was profaned. In Ezekiel 48, verse 3, they defied God's holy name by their abominations. That's referring to their idolatry. And their prophets in Jeremiah 23, 25 prophesied lies in God's name. God was so patient with them over and over again. But when they persisted in sin, they were finally sent into exile from the promised land. But here's the problem. The exile itself brought disgrace to God's name. In Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 20, we read that when the other nations looked at them, they said, these, these are the people of God. Yet, they had to go out from the land. And so God's name, verse 21, was profaned among the nations to which they came. It was as if the gods of the nations were more powerful than Yahweh. So what's God going to do? He says, I'm going to act for the sake of my name. Verse 22, he says, It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came, I will vindicate the holiness of my name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord when I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And how is he going to do that? He would do that by rescuing his people. Passage continues, verse 24. I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from the countries, bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, make you clean for your uncleanness. From your idols, I will cleanse you. I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove your heart of stone from your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. You'll dwell in the land. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. Right? God's going to save his people. He's going to wash them clean on the inside and give them his spirit. Bring them back into the land from, their, from where they'll be exiled. And in doing that, he would vindicate the holiness of his name. In other words, he would hallow it. He would make it holy. When Jesus came, he taught his disciples to pray to the Father, Hallowed be thy name. 
He wanted them to pray for the day when God would vindicate his name, when God would make his name holy, when he would rid the disgrace brought to his name by the sin of his people. The day when God would restore his people, in fact, not just from the exile from the promised land, but from the bigger exile, the exile to which the exile from the promised land was a, was a picture, a pointer, the real exile, the exile from the garden. And in that day, God's name would be vindicated, not just among the nations, but through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the powers and authorities in the heavenly places. On that day, Ezekiel, as Ezekiel promised God, God said he will wash his people clean on the inside, give them his spirit. So that God's people will be born of water and the spirit. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, and therefore see the kingdom of God. And God answered that prayer in the person of his son. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty of our sin. So that everyone who believes in him is washed clean on the inside. Given his spirit. And so God's name is indeed being hallowed through, through the work of Jesus. And there's more. The name Jesus itself means Yahweh saves. Because he really is Yahweh come to save his people. Over and over again, Jesus took the term I am and applied it to himself, didn't he? Uh, we saw an example of that in our Bible reading this, this morning, in our New Testament reading. Unless you believe that I am, Jesus said in, Luke, uh, in John 8, 24, you will die in your sins. And so in the New Testament, the name of Jesus takes over that role of Yahweh's name in the Old Testament. The apostles preached and healed in the name of Jesus. They baptized in the name of Jesus. They would be hated for the sake of Jesus' name. God's people assembled in the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. We are saved by believing in the name of Jesus. John says in John chapter 20 verse 31, the signs that are written in this book are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and might be by believing you might have life in his name. In fact, the apostles proclaimed in Acts 4 verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which one must be saved. Back in the Old Testament, the prophet Job prophesied that the day would come when everyone who called upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Notice the capital L-O-R-D. In Romans 10, the Apostle Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he references this by quoting Joel, saying that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, the name of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D in Joel, has become the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, in Romans. For in the, name, or in the New Testament, the name of Jesus shares the same function as the name of Yahweh in the Old and so to honor that name. In fact, Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Brothers and sisters, like Israel of old, God has revealed himself to us. But he's done it in much, much bigger way, hasn't he? Jesus said to the Father in John 17, verse 6, 
I have manifested your name to the people that you gave me out of the world. We have seen the glory of God in Jesus. At the cross, we see God's steadfast love and faithfulness in saving and forgiving sinners. And we also see his perfect justice in not leaving sin unpunished. We have seen God's perfect revelation in his Son. And so we, of all people, must obey this command not to take God's name in vain. How do we do that? Well, to start with, remember those five ways the command applied to Israel? There are similar ways in which they apply to us. Our first honoring God's name starts with, but goes beyond, keeping our oaths. Jesus taught that we shouldn't have to make oaths because our yes should be yes and our no should be no. We should be honest without having to swear. But other parts of Scripture show that there are times when it's permissible. So what Jesus is saying here is not, it can't, but it's not necessary. But when vows are taken, they still should be very serious, isn't it? Right? If you get married at St. Mary's, the number of you have, the number of you will, right? one of the things you say if you're the bridegroom is this. I so-and-so take you so-and-so, there you put your name, lah, okay, uh, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, to cherish and honor, till death do us part, according to God's holy law, and this is my solemn vow. And if you're the bride, you make the reciprocal vow. And one of the things the minister will tell you, tell both parties beforehand, is this. The vows you are about to take are made in the name of God, who is the judge of all and who knows the secrets of all our hearts. It's serious. You can't get more serious than that. So keep your oaths. Secondly, we mustn't be irreverent with God's name. In the West, the name of Jesus is often used as a swear word. You hear that, right? You get it on the media as well. Let that never, 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 never be so among us. Even here, people sometimes say, oh my God, when surprised, all right? Or OMG on the WhatsApp. Don't laugh. Please think of some other expression. Sometimes we can be so familiar with the things of God that we take things lightly. Right? Now, you know, jokes, jokes are fine, right? But by all means, let's laugh at ourselves. There are things that Christians do that can be very funny when you think about it. Okay? Uh, sometimes we can be silly and we can, make, we can make fun of ourselves and each other. But there's a line that we shouldn't cross when it comes to things of God. Right? God is holy. I shouldn't be joking about him. Uh, I cringe when I hear people using the word hallelujah as a joke. Right? Because they don't realize that the Yah in hallelujah is Yahweh. Hallelujah means praise Yahweh. You cannot joke about that. Be in awe of God's name. Do not take it lightly. Blasphemy, cursing, speaking bad of God's name is still as serious as ever because God is still as holy as ever. In the book of Revelation, it is the evil beast who blasphemes God's name and dwelling. It is given freedom for a limited time but ultimately is thrown in the lake of fire. 
do not be irreverent with God's name or the things of God. God is holy. Thirdly, we are Christians. We bear the name of Christ. And we who bear the name of Christ must seek to live in a way that brings honor, not disgrace to that name, by our actions. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Okay, so we bear God's name, we mustn't bring it into disrepute in the way we act. I hope that people at your workplace or school or college or university know that you are a Christian. Otherwise, it's very hard to have opportunities to share Christ with them, right? When the time comes. But when you go to work or school or college tomorrow, remember that you go bearing the name of Christ. You are a Christian. Do not bring that name into disrepute by being rude or lazy or dishonest. Likewise in the church. Uh, in 2 Timothy 2, there are people in the church who claim the, the resurrection happened uh, and presumably therefore claim that whatever we do in the body is okay. Right? But sexual immorality is not okay. And so Paul says in verse 19, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. They can't take the name Christian and persist in sexual immorality, and that will bring the name of Jesus into disrepute. When church leaders, some of whom are actually false believers actually, but when church leaders sin in terrible ways, and then make it worse by inappropriately trying to cover it up, that itself brings disgrace to God's name. And you know how we've seen that in the media. If you and I bear the name of Christ, we owe it to him to seek to live his name, his way. Fourthly, you must never come to God presumptuously. Remember how the priests couldn't touch the, the holy things when they were unclean? Well, let us never presume to come to God trusting in our own righteousness. It is like filthy rags. But having been washed with the blood of Christ, then we can approach God with confidence. We approach God in, with, and through Jesus. To do so in any other way is profane the holiness of his name. Fifthly, we must be aware of those who falsely claim to speak for God. We must be careful not to speak in the name of Jesus the things that he didn't speak. We must be careful not to promise for Jesus the things that he does not promise. Uh, for example, sometimes in their eagerness to encourage those who need healing, some well-meaning speakers might say, Jesus has promised to heal you if only you believe. But then... If the healing doesn't happen, it appears as if Jesus is not faithful or Jesus is not powerful. But actually, it's the preacher who is misusing his name by promising things that Jesus didn't promise. And that brings unintended disgrace to the name of Jesus. Unintended, but grave. The, bishop, the bishops of the Church of England, by, by the way, we are not part of that, right? We're independent from that. Huh? But the bishops of the Church of England they recently proposed to allow the blessing of couple, couples following their same-sex marriage. Now, if they end up doing that, 
then Church of England ministers will use God's name to promote something that he clearly forbids. They will bless the couple in God's name as they blatantly celebrate their sin against him. That is not only a violation of God's sexual ethics, it is taking God's name in vain. And the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In the Old Testament, a prophet who spoke falsely in the name of the Lord would be executed. The New Testament equivalent is being put out of the church until they repent. And so in 1 Timothy 1.20, Paul puts these false teachers, Hymenaeus and Alexander, out of the church, handing them over to Satan so they may learn not to blaspheme. Beware of those who wrongly speak for God. Test everything by his word. Finally, we're not just to avoid the negative. As, as God's chosen, redeemed people, we have a positive purpose. That is, we are here to glorify God's name. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, he says in Romans 1.5 that he received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name among the nations. Right? God's name is glorified when people come to trust in Jesus and obey him as the gospels proclaim. And so Paul proclaimed the gospel. And in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11 and 12, he and his friends prayed for the Thessalonians. And he said, to this end, we always pray for you that God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. All right, so the name of Jesus is glorified as we show his character, as we do good works, as God empowers us to do that. Remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray to the Father, hallowed be thy name? Well, that prayer is being answered today. Still being prayed, still being answered, as God's people are being gathered from the nations. And as we come to see the glory of God in Jesus, as we come to believe in his mercy, grace, patience, steadfast love, faithfulness, and justice that he shows us at the cross, as we come to appreciate him and worship him for who he truly is, then his name is hallowed. As we are changed into his image, as our characters more and more reflect his love, as we serve him faithfully in this world, his name is glorified. And on that final day, when his work is complete, and his people are restored, not just to the land, but to the true inheritance, the new creation. And we share in his eternal joy. His name will be truly glorified. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Let's just take a few moments before we pray to examine ourselves in light of God's word. And if we've taken God's holy name in vain in any way, let's, let's repent of that. And let's forge a new direction grateful for the death of Jesus who takes away our sin.
Father, we thank you that you have made us your people and given us your name. Thank you for saving us for the sake of that name. Help us, we pray, to be aware of the holiness of your name, never to take it lightly. Please make us worthy of your calling. Please fulfill every resolve for good, every work of faith by your power, so that by your grace the name of Jesus may be glorified among us. And we ask this, Lord, in his name. Amen.